If you have your Bibles, why don't you turn with me together to Luke's Gospel, chapter 24, as we continue our study through Luke together. This morning we pick back up where we left off in verse 12, and this morning we'll look at verse 13, uh, down through verse 32 together. And if you would stand together with me out of respect for the Word of God as I read our text for this morning's study, I'd greatly appreciate that. Uh, This morning, chapter 24, beginning in verse 13, let me read our text for this study. It says, Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And so it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? And one of those whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? And Father, we ask this morning that by your Holy Spirit you would prepare us to receive what it is that you want to say to each one of us this very hour. Lord, we know it's no coincidence that we're sitting here this day, this morning, in this passage of Scripture, Lord, you coordinated and work out all the details in everyday lives. And Lord, so we believe as we've drawn near to you that you will draw near to us. And Lord, we're here to worship you. And as a part of that, we want to hear what you would say to us, that we might be responsive to you. So Lord, would you bless your word and would you help us to be attentive and receptive And would you, Jesus, speak to us in a way that our hearts might burn even as you spoke to these men in that day. And we ask these things in Jesus' wonderful name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You know, what do we do in our lives with some of the periodic feelings of doubt that we go through? Uh, Times where we wrestle with feelings of depression and discouragement. I guess the better question really to ask as well is, is how does Jesus help those who are struggling with feelings of being doubtful or depressed or discouraged? I'll tell you this very candidly. Our modern culture, and especially more in these days than even going back maybe 25, 30 years ago, our modern culture has a lot of faulty ideas of how we are supposed to deal with feelings of doubt and depression or anxiety or discouragement or feeling despondent. And sadly, there are multitudes of people who are subscribing to what the culture is trying to tell people is the right way to respond to depression and to doubt and to discouragement. 
Typically, we would just write a prescription. If you take this, that will solve everything. And I tell you very candidly that a lot of times that is causing more problems for people in our culture than it is helping them in their lives. A lot of times we encourage when people are depressed or discouraged, well, you have to get psychoanalytical or see a psychologist or lay on a couch. And again, please understand, I'm not seeking to be offensive, but I tell you this, that a lot of the things our culture is presenting as a resolution to doubt, to despair, to depression, things that we all feel, every one of us in our lives at times, to different degrees and for different reasons, I tell you, a lot of those ideas of our culture are causing a lot more problems than they are helping a lot of people in our world that are wrestling with those things, both unbelievers who don't know Jesus and as well much of the church at large today as well. And my question is, how does Jesus help those in those places? Well, in the passage in front of us, I think we see Jesus' approach with particularly two men who very clearly, as we can see from our study, are wrestling with being pretty discouraged in this day and hour in their life because of what things they had experienced. They're wrestling with kind of feeling a little depressed. They almost seem a little, as you take notice when we'll go through, they almost seem even a little cynical and a little sour because of some of what they're struggling with in their own hearts. And notice here that Jesus will utilize things like this. He'll utilize things like fellowship and just conversation. Just kind of talking it out and being with other people and just kind of airing it out and, and discussing and talking through things. Jesus uses something here that a lot of times we won't, and that's he challenges the errors in their thought. And, and the areas where they were just thinking wrongly, he loves them enough to confront their thought process and to challenge them in the error of their own thinking. He exposes them to the scriptures, believing the power of the scriptures is able and sufficient to help in those particular areas. And Jesus reveals himself to them because his presence, the Psalms tell us, that his presence can make us exceedingly glad. That there's something about the presence of Christ and when he reveals himself to us that can be one of the most helpful and therapeutic things with any of what we may be struggling with. Now remember, our backdrop as we're moving into this next text this morning is Jesus, we're on the other side of the resurrection now, we're a few days after the resurrection, it seems. Uh, and remember, prior to this time, a group of women had just gone to the tomb expecting to finish the embalming process of Jesus' body. Instead, when they got there, we saw they found the stone rolled away. And upon going in, it tells us that this uh, angelic presence was there. And this angel spoke to them and said, look, why do you seek the living among the dead? Jesus isn't here. He, he's risen. Remember how he told you that and he kind of recalls to their mind the reality that Jesus had been telling them that yes, he would suffer and die and be crucified, but that he would rise from the dead victoriously three days later, the part that many of the disciples were tending to forget about and they weren't paying attention to because they were so shocked by the fact of Jesus's sufferings and the fact that he would die. So the women have now made this incredible discovery. They have heard Jesus is alive. That's why he's not here. He has risen indeed. And they remember then with incredible enthusiasm having got revelation and had the experience themselves of the fact that Jesus is alive. They like enthusiastic messengers run back to the 11 as well as to other followers of Jesus. Verse 11 says they went back and testified of these things. But yet verse 11, their words seem to them look like idle tales. In other words, that sounds like nonsense. And it says, sadly, though they gave an enthusiastic and accurate report of his resurrection, that many did not believe their report. Now, we know that Jesus, multiple times the Gospels show us, made multiple uh, presentations and appearances of himself being alive. For 40 days after his resurrection and before his ascension back into heaven at the right hand of the Father... The Bible tells us that on multiple occasions and with multiple individuals, Jesus presented himself alive. Acts chapter 1 verse 3 says Jesus presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during the 40 days and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Now Luke here records for us in his gospel one of those 
post-resurrection appearances. One of the occasions where Jesus came in his resurrected body and he literally appeared to two men to reveal to them the reality that he indeed was alive from the dead. And Luke records for us the first of a few of these resurrection appearances. Look with me again back in verse 13. It simply begins by telling us, Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus. Luke says, which was approximately seven miles from Jerusalem. So our story opens with these two men. They're not of the 11 disciples or apostles, again, who Jesus had been traveling with. These are just two followers of Jesus and his ministry. And we can tell from the passage as we read it together, they're very acquainted with Jesus. They're very familiar with Jesus' teachings and with his deeds. They know a lot about Jesus. They were a part of the crowd of followers that went around with Jesus. And they're probably, most likely, returning home now from being there in Jerusalem during Passover week. It's very likely maybe Emmaus was even their home village. And now the Passover week has ended and they're now traveling back maybe to the village of Emmaus where they were both from. But while in Jerusalem, clearly these men, like many others and many of Jesus' followers, they had just watched and experienced all the difficult and very traumatizing experience of watching Jesus be arrested suffer, be beaten, be brutalized, and then be hung upon a cross and then buried in a tomb. And these men had witnessed and experienced this, and it seems they're still somewhat traumatized, and rightfully so, because of all of what they just experienced. And it has stirred in them what's happened the last few days. It's stirred in them a condition where these guys, they're full of sorrow. And it's clear that they are feeling pretty disappointed. They're doubtful. They're discouraged. I think it's fair to say that, honestly, they're, they're somewhat depressed, going through that variation of emotions and feelings. And perhaps this morning, because maybe of some things that have happened in your life recently, maybe you can totally relate this morning. Maybe this morning you find your heart, your mind in a condition where you're kind of feeling the same. Maybe this morning you're struggling with feeling really disappointed about something, that something didn't happen the way you expected it to, and you're really struggling with disappointment this morning in relation to something. Maybe there have been things that have happened in your life recently or in the past that's left you this morning really wrestling with kind of being discouraged, very depressed. Maybe you're struggling with depression this morning. Well, so were these men here in this passage, but watch how our story unfolds. Verse 14 says that as they were then going to Emmaus, verse 14 says, they talked together of all these things which had happened. So as these men are taking this journey, walking on foot, these seven miles, the Holy Spirit just records for us that they're just kind of talking through what happened. Now, I think that is a very natural reaction because what are they doing? They're like you and I. They're just trying to process all the things that they've just gone through. They're trying to process and work through their thoughts and feelings. And, you know, I have found that sometimes when people have gone through some things and maybe they're struggling and they're trying to process something difficult that's happened or they're going through, that a lot of times it's very helpful to have someone to just talk through What's happened with? To just have somebody, really, that you can just have a proper release, an outlet of your emotions, of your thoughts, of your feelings, and, and, and to just be able to have someone who can listen and then share corresponding thoughts. And here these two men are walking. They've both gone through something very traumatizing. They're struggling with things. It's evident. We can tell that. And as they walk together, they're just talking it out. And it says here that they just talk together about the things that had happened. And many times that's a very helpful thing to just be able to just process it. Listen, whether you see it or not, whether we want to admit it or not, we need relational connections in our lives. Every single one of us. God has not called us to live life like some kind of an island isolated. God has created us to have relationship with people. And God has created us with the need to communicate. It is natural. It is healthy. Quite honestly, it is therapeutic. It's therapeutic. 
And can I encourage you this morning to be careful because if you isolate yourself, I tell you, if you isolate yourself, you also at the same time are planting seeds for just feeling more depressed, more discouraged, more doubtful, and more despairing. Because when you isolate yourself, you instigate even further, like wood on a fire, a pity party where you become introspective and more depressed and more discouraged and you just think and think and think when quite honestly, if you talked it out with someone else and you allowed someone to be connected to you and you kept yourself connected to others and talked it through and listened to their thoughts, I find for me that helps me gain perspective and I need that in my life. I need that. I must need it a lot. I have a wife and three daughters, so we talk a lot. A lot more than I even would, and my wife still doesn't think I talk a lot. But we need that in our lives. And these two guys here, just a beautiful thing, they're walking it, they're talking through everything that's happened. And I think it was something that was a very healthy thing. And Jesus comes alongside and comes up with them and he begins now to participate in the conversation to help them work through this. Verse 15 says, so it was, while they converse, notice, and reason, so while they're talking it out, all of a sudden Jesus himself, verse 15 says, drew near and went with them. So Jesus, seeing these two men, struggling with all the things that just happened. They're kind of discouraged. They feel very disappointed about what happened to Jesus, whom they loved and they were following for the past number of years. He sees them wrestling through things and he transitions. Now notice, verse 15 tells us, he transitions from the spiritual dimension or the spiritual realm and he steps now into the physical realm. And Jesus did this quite a bit during those 40 days between his resurrection and then his ascension back into heaven. And you'll see that as you study the end of the Gospels, that Jesus, he would, he would kind of step in and out back from the spiritual realm into the physical realm when he would make these appearances. And here we see this. Verse 15 says that Jesus, seeing them talking, it says that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. He drew near to be with them. And again, isn't that so like Jesus? Drawing near to people who are brokenhearted, who are downcast, who are discouraged, hurting and struggling the psalms tell us the lord is near to those who have a broken heart and again this morning if you can associate with the condition and the struggles of these two men on that day you know what you need to know whether you sense it or not whether you see it or not the lord is near the bible says to the brokenhearted there's something very attractive to the lord and he is drawn to those who are struggling his presence draws near and he wants us to sense his presence, I think, because he wants us to draw from his presence and to let him help us as we walk through those things. Interesting note, verse 16 tells us, however, that as Jesus kind of just comes up and approaches them, it says, however, verse 16, but their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. So again, how exactly this happens, we're not certain. All of a sudden, Jesus, again, as you start walking up from behind them, hey, guys, wait up, and just like a traveler on the same path, and he catches up to them, and, and as he approaches them, verse 16 tells us that something prevented them from recognizing, however, that this was Jesus. It wasn't that they didn't see him physically. They could clearly see him as a person together with them. They saw him physically with a natural eye, but the idea is they didn't sense or perceive spiritually who this was that was with them. Verse 16 just simply tells us their eyes were restrained so that they didn't know him. Of course, the question comes to mind, what was it that prevented them from sensing and perceiving that this was the Lord Jesus. Again, I don't think that it was something physical or natural because they could see him with the physical eye. I think clearly there was something spiritual or supernatural in the cause that was restraining their eyes. Again, was it God that was sovereignly restraining their eyes for a specific purpose temporarily? Or... Maybe was it unbelief in their hearts, which was clearly going on at this point in time? And was it the unbelief in their hearts and the doubtfulness within them that the devil then manipulated and caused them to have this struggle with seeing and perceiving spiritual things and seeing Jesus for who he was? I'm not certain. 
Certainly the Bible seems to indicate that both of those could have possibly been the case, being the fact that God could and God can. God can purposely restrain somebody from seeing something spiritually. God can purposely restrain somebody from seeing things until he wishes. He's God. He has the prerogative to do that. You know, sometimes, you know, I look at young people, I look at single people, and I pray, God, blind them to every one of the opposite sex until it's time for them to see the right one so that we don't have more problems on our hands than we do. God is more than able to not let us see something if for some reason, again, in his prerogative and his preference, that he says, look, I deem it better that you don't see right now because maybe there's a process that God's taken us through and God does things in his timing and, and he's sovereign. We don't understand all of his ways. So this could have been just God sovereignly restraining their eyes. That's very possible. Perhaps the Lord's bringing them through a process as we see here to see at a set moment. It also could very well believe, I think, another possibility, and you can weigh out what you think is right. It could be that the unbelief and the devil's manipulation of that unbelief and doubtfulness in their hearts was also maybe what was contributing to their eyes being restrained and from them not seeing spiritually. Again, please take notice, our text clearly indicates that this was a struggle that these guys were going through. Again, look down in verse 25. Jesus clearly says to them, O foolish ones and slow of hearts to believe. Jesus indicates there's a real doubtfulness and an unbelief in their hearts. And the Bible makes it very clear that unbelief and the devil's manipulation of unbelief in a heart can create blindness. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 says this. It speaks of those whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe. Lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. That's a very critical verse to understand. That the Bible teaches us that when there is unbelief in the human heart, when we choose not to believe... When we choose to be doubtful and we choose not to say, yes, I, I'm going to believe this. I choose to believe that this is true. The Bible says that is something that the devil supernaturally manipulates in a person's life. It says that the devil has blinded, it says, blinded the minds of those who do not believe so that they don't see the gospel clearly. Listen, that is why you can give the most perfect, polished, accurate presentation of the gospel message and you're thinking this is so convincing why would anybody not accept Jesus and get saved after what I just shared and people cannot see it and stay in their blindness and choose not to respond to Christ why because unbelief is something the devil blinds with when the devil sees unbelief he comes alongside and he causes a veil a blindness to be over someone's eyes so that truly it's a spiritual blindness and they don't see that's why a lot, you know, a lot of times as Christians we pray, Lord, open their eyes, open their eyes. Sometimes as Christians what we really need to pray is, Lord, help them believe. Because the Bible tells us that when one turns to the Lord, then the veil is taken away. When one turns to the Lord in faith. I find myself more and more nowadays, I understand we pray open their eyes, but I find myself, Lord, give them the faith to believe. Help them to believe, Lord, to exercise their ability to believe. Because if they do, then the devil can't blind them. Because faith is how we're saved and faith is what God blesses and honors. And we don't see and then believe. The Bible says, no, you believe and then you see. That's God's process. Show me something, then I'll believe. God says, you're not in charge. The way I work is, is you believe, then you see. It works that way for the unconverted soul accepting Christ. It works that way for the Christian as well. When we say, God, show me something and then I'll believe. God says, no, you believe first. You believe first, and then I will show you. You know, again, you put your foot in the water, Moses, and then I'll part the Red Sea. But again, faith came before God then opening up afterwards. And it could be, again, if God is not sovereignly restraining their eyes, it could be that this is a spiritual effect, again, of a blindness maybe because of the doubt in their hearts. Regardless of what caused their eyes to be restrained, ultimately the Lord himself is the only one who can intervene and cause people's eyes to be open to see spiritual things. Again, Numbers 22 tells us when, when the Lord saw Balaam's blindness, the Lord opened Balaam's eyes. Second uh, Kings chapter 6 shows a passage of multiple references of the Lord opening people's eyes. And this is where Jesus is taking these men. 
In his graciousness, in his kindness, he'll use the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. He'll speak the word of God. He'll prepare their heart. He'll nurture faith in them. And then Jesus ultimately opens their eyes. And we need to remember that only the Lord ultimately is the one who can open people's eyes. And this is the end goal of Jesus, to get these men to see him and to know him. And listen, this morning, that is always the intention of Jesus, to open people's eyes that they might see him and that they might know him, that the unsafe person would come to know him personally. And I think oftentimes Jesus sees again the struggling believer, depressed, discouraged, despondent, and, and, and he wants to open their eyes to really see Jesus for who he is as Savior and Lord and the powerful one to get them out of that, to give them the encouragement that he's alive and able to help them to change their personal perspective to walk in the victory that he desires for them. Verse 17, notice Jesus now enters the conversation. It says, he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you're having with one another as you walk? And he says, clearly, you think I'm pretty sad, he says. Now, look what happens here. Jesus, knowing that they don't perceive it's him, he's aware of that. He asks a probing question now into their conversation as he's walking with them. No doubt, again, I almost see Jesus probably walked with them at first. He's listening to them converse and talk all these things out. And he's just kind of being a, a silent participant. He's being a good listener. And he's listening to them describe kind of the woeful, depressing feelings that they're having and their thoughts that they're going through. Probably saying, oh, I just, can you believe it, man? I can't believe it. I, I just, I never thought this was going to happen. All those years we were following him, I never thought it would come to an end. It seemed like that this was going to last forever. His miracles. And, oh, and, and can you believe? I just, what are we going to do now? What's, what's the future going to hold? And, and, and I really thought this was going to happen. And Jesus is listening to this. And then what does he do? Then he politely interjects at the right moment. And it's almost as if you sense Jesus saying, look, guys, I don't, I don't mean to be nosy. But I'm listening to this conversation that you're having here. And, and, and can I ask, what's happened that you guys are so passionately dialoguing about? And, and, and guys, you, mean, you really seem concerned and burdened. What, why is it that you're so sad, he says? What is this you're talking about? And, and, and why is it, can I ask, you guys seem really disappointed. You seem really discouraged. You know, isn't the Lord almost humorous? going through this process he's, and, he's, and he's allowing them to just process this and to talk it out. He says, what is it? Why are you guys so sad? Why are you so discouraged and disappointed? Well, verse 18, then one of those whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened in these days? Imagine how shocked they felt. What, are you, what planet are you from, man? How could you not know what just happened in Jerusalem? Everybody knows what just happened in Jerusalem. And, and how shocked they must have been thinking, how could this guy not know what just happened in Jerusalem? That he could ask, what are we so bummed and discouraged and sad about? Well, verse 19, I love the Lord. He said to them, well, tell me what things. He just continues to, what's he doing? He's just drawing out of them, I think, making them indicate and articulate what they're struggling with and he's drawing it out of them so that he can help them address exactly what they're wrestling to. And you know, I think sometimes the Lord does that. One of my favorite Proverbs says, the, man of a, uh, the heart of a man is deep waters, and a man of understanding draws it out of him. And that's what you see Jesus. He's just kind of drawing it, getting it all out of him, drawing it all out so then he can address them in the most appropriate way. You know, sometimes, again, I think this is why conversation and, and relationship and just communicating is such a healthy therapeutic thing when we struggle with things you know my wife has a wonderful ability to do this you know it's it's like just you know she just lowers the bucket down into the well of my heart and she just reels up and just gets it out of there and sometimes we need to do that we need to just to get and jesus is doing that with these guys here hey what's going on and what things tell me just you know share with me let me hear what's going on well they said to him here's what's going on the things concerning jesus of nazareth who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers, they delivered him to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. But we were hoping, notice, we hoped, but we hoped it was him that was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since all these things 
happens. So these men, again, thinking that Jesus sincerely doesn't know, that he's a stranger and hasn't heard, they begin now to just comply with his request and they start filling him in and recounting the details of what things happened. And as they do such, they reveal that they have some things correct, but they also reveal and indicate that there were certain things that they didn't quite understand. They were correct in what they knew. You see in verse 19 and 20, they knew that Jesus was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God. They knew that Jesus had been delivered and condemned to death and crucified. Accurate. There you go. They had some accurate things about Jesus. But by the same token, verse 21, you begin to see they also were lacking information and off target in their understanding relation to some other things. Verse 21, here's where they begin to show their inaccuracy. They said, we were hoping that he was going to be the one to redeem Israel. They said, again, we were hoping. Again, in their perspective at this point, what's the situation in their hearts and in their minds? They felt that Jesus, what? They felt he failed to fulfill what they thought he would and should fulfill as the Messiah and as the Christ. So according to their own expectations, Jesus' mission failed. We really were hoping. We thought this was going to be the guy. We were hoping this was the guy that would redeem Israel. The truth is Jesus was going to redeem Israel. He had redeemed them from their sins and ultimately he will redeem them in his second coming in the kingdom age, but it was not going to be according to their ideas and their expectations. They believed that Jesus had died. They believed all hope was lost. The reality is Jesus was very much alive and Jesus was working. They just didn't see it and they weren't aware of it in their present condition. They were failing to recognize it. Point being, their lack of understanding is what was causing discouragement and depression and doubtfulness in their hearts. And what you have here with these men is, is an issue of just a major struggle with personal disappointment. It's a major struggle with personal disappointment. If you look at the words in verse 21, we were hoping that he was going to, that's disappointment. That is an indication that they are struggling with personal disappointment. And can I say this morning, by way of application, that many times is a major struggle for all of us on this earth. At times, disappointment can be a very big stumbling block. Think about it. We have our expectations and we develop ideas and expectations of how things are going to go or how things should go or how we prefer things to go. And we have our expectations in relation to different areas of our life. And then what happens? It doesn't take long to figure out that sometimes in this life, guess what? Things don't go the way I planned. By golly, things don't happen the way I expected them to happen. And we lack then understanding of the whys and this and that. And as a result, what happens? That lack of understanding, that personal disappointment, it very quickly results in us beginning to struggle with the strong feelings of personal disappointment. And people begin to think and say things like, I don't understand. I was hoping that Jesus was going to, you fill in the blank. Or people find themselves struggling and you come to, they, we were really hoping that God was gonna, and you fill in the blank. And because it doesn't happen according to expectation and because of a lack of human understanding in our finite minds, People begin to wrestle with personal disappointment and then that personal disappointment becomes something that often then translates into being doubtful and being discouraged and being despondent and really even getting utterly depressed. And it all stems with just kind of that personal disappointment seed that many a times happens. Listen, can I help you this morning? Disappointment is simply a part of the process of life. It's a part of life. I've been disappointed many, many times and I plan on being disappointed many more <laughs> in many different ways. Disappointment is just a part of the process at times we must all go through, but listen, you can't let it paralyze you. It's a part of life. 
But don't let disappointment paralyze you. Don't let it paralyze you and let it be something that becomes destructive in your life. It can be a constructive thing if you learn from it, you look to the Lord, and you allow him to help you walk through it in the process. Well, look how these men, as they're kind of going on, look how they continue to express their sentiments, verse 22 and on. They go on, again, they're answering Jesus, yes, they say, and certain women of our own company who arrived at the tomb early, they astonished us. When they didn't find his body, they came back, saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb, and, and we found it just as the women said, but notice again, him they didn't see. Please take notice here. It seems that again, that this disappointment, discouragement in their hearts, it's kind of made these two men, it seems a little bit sour inside as well. I don't know if you can sense the hint there of, of kind of a tone of cynicism as they're recounting this to Jesus as they're clearly indicting themselves of where they're at and the Lord's about to recorrect their perspective. But again, they, look, they tell him what happened. We were hoping he was going to be the guy. And, and to make it worse, some of our women, they went running down to the tomb and they came back and they said that you know his body's not there. And then they told us that they saw some angels who told him that he is alive. And they said, but we went there and we didn't see his body. And you can sense there's, again, because they're doubtful, which is the thing Jesus is going to rebuke them for, you can sense there is a little bit of kind of a, a, a cynicism, a sarcasm. And I find in my own life, a lot of times, these two things kind of go hand in hand. That when we're discouraged, we're disappointed, we get depressed, that we can sometimes start to get a little bit sour, a little cynical. To me, please don't miss, it is fascinating, take note, that God did send word to these two men to reveal to them the truth that they needed to know to process what they were struggling with. God sent to them the women who came back and testified to them and said, listen, he's not in the tomb. His body's gone and Jesus is alive. So God took the time to lovingly send to them what? He sent them the truth spiritually that they needed to know that would have helped them process the very thing they were struggling with, but apparently they discounted that and they chose to say depressed and discouraged instead. And can I tell you, sometimes we do that. Sometimes we're struggling, we're wrestling, and God graciously, he sends a person into our life to share the truth with us to share the scriptures, to give us a word from the Lord, to help us to process what we're going through. And, and, and he's trying to give us the reasoning that we need to help us process. And, and sometimes, because we get a little sour, cynical, and, and self-pityish, we just kind of discount it and we, and we choose to stay depressed instead. And we choose to stay discouraged. Well, here, look what happens. Verse 25, Jesus has been at this point being very patient. He's letting them express their struggles. But at this point, there comes a time where he says, it's time to redirect these gentlemen. And notice verse 25, Jesus, having heard their testimony, finally says, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and then enter into his glory? Jesus lovingly yet honestly rebukes them for being in the condition that they were in at this point. Jesus reproves them for, it says, being foolish and slow of heart to believe. Now, would you agree with me? That's pretty bold language. That's pretty bold. It might not be what you expect when somebody is talking to somebody who is struggling. That might not be what you would expect somebody to say to somebody who's struggling with doubts and discouragement and being depressed and downcast yet Jesus is love personified God is love Jesus was God in the flesh and Jesus uses some rather strong terms there at this moment I don't know honestly I don't know if Jesus really would have ever won the award for personal sensitivity I don't know if he ever would have won the award for never offending in his speech, but I tell you this, Jesus always knew exactly what to say. 
And that was what he said. And in love, he knew that often people did not need to hear what they wanted to hear. But Jesus always would share with people what they needed to hear. And these men needed their error in thinking that was contributing to their struggle. They needed their error in thinking challenged and corrected. So he lovingly, but honestly, he confronts their error by saying, you're acting foolish. And why are you so slow of heart to believe all that the Messiah was prophesied that he would do in the scriptures? And he says, ought not the Christ, remember the, ought not the Christ to have suffered first and then experienced these things prior to his glory? And Jesus shows them they had failed to consider what the scripture had said. They had simply just forgotten that these were all necessary events. And these men who heard Jesus teach and probably were even familiar with the scriptures, it seems from the things that they say in their conversation with Jesus, in essence, they were living ignorantly of the scriptures that they supposedly knew. And their, their shortcoming really becomes living according to what they saw from their perspective and how they felt rather than processing what they were going through through the lens of Scripture and through a heart of faith and letting the Word of God dictate them what was right and that the Word of God even governed their thoughts and their emotions. And Jesus says to them, listen, if you would stop focusing on what you're thinking and take a look back into the Word of God, you'd see the answer to what you're... He ought not the Christ to have suffered? This, is, this was all part of God's plan, he says. And he brings them to the word of God to help liberate them from how they're feeling so that they wouldn't be living foolishly and they wouldn't be struggling in doubtfulness. And can I say this morning, maybe you don't. Maybe you don't. But I thoroughly appreciate the fact that Jesus loves me enough that he doesn't pamper my emotions and that he loves me enough that sometimes he will challenge my error in thought. He might not always say what's comforting to our feelings, but Jesus, who is love personified, will always correct our heart and correct our perspective if we're willing to allow him to. And I'm thankful that he does that. I'm thankful that he loves us enough that when we're living in the dark to kind of just flip the light switch on. Ah! But sometimes that's what we need so that we stop stumbling around in the dark and we walk in the light the way the Lord wants us to. Again, Jesus said, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. And Jesus always spoke the truth. And that's what he's doing with these men. Well, verse 27 tells us that as Jesus said this to them, it says, and then beginning at Moses and all the prophets, notice he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Wow, can you imagine that Jesus, it says expounding the Old Testament scriptures, Moses and the prophets, that were reference to the Old Testament scriptures that they had, that he expounded in those things the things concerning himself. Jesus teaching a Bible study. I wish there was recording back then. I would have loved to have heard that teaching. Would have been incredible. Again, Jesus showing the major point and purpose of scripture is what? To reveal himself. He expounded in the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures, it says the things concerning himself. Let us never forget there is a person within the pages of God's word that we're supposed to be looking for. We don't just study this book for let me get some principles, let me get some philosophical ideas, some spiritual insights to make my life a little better. No, no, no. We study the word to see a person to meet Jesus, to know Jesus, to hear from Jesus. John chapter 5, Jesus said to the religious leaders, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life and these are they which testify of me. Jesus said we can study our Bibles and miss the whole point because the point on every page is to get us closer to Jesus, that we might come to know Jesus. Jesus shows us here as well, I think, the value of studying the Old Testament scriptures, the law and the prophets. He says, even in those things, we can grow. And I hope you see the value of studying the Old Testament scriptures as Jesus here expounded from those scriptures, explaining their meaning, pointing in those scriptures. Hey, do you, do you see this here in, in Genesis 22 with Abraham and Isaac and, and offering his, his only son? That's talking about me. Do you see this in these feasts here in Israel, the, the Passover? Or, that's talking about me. 
And Jesus took them through the scriptures and he was showing them the value of the scriptures and how those very scriptures spoke about who he was. And when you see Jesus trying to help these men here, again, he's now beginning to try and bring them to the place where they turn the corner from their sorrow and struggle. What does Jesus do? Well, verse 27 indicates that Jesus felt the most helpful thing he could do for these individuals was very simply to take them through the word of God. Jesus shows us here that he understands the value and the power of exposing people to the scriptures. Here's a group of men, again, these two guys, they're in the condition of, you know, I call it the dreadful D's. Discouragement, depression, despair, you know, being doubtful. And what is Jesus? Jesus, you need the word. You need the word. Because Jesus knew the power of the word of God to help people, to transform people, to help, to heal, to, to give understanding that it's a sufficient antidote. Psalm 19 says this, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The idea is restoring a soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Again, what? The word. The word enlightens people who are living in darkness. The word restores people's soul when they're all messed up in their heart. The word of God is what gives people the strength and the ability to process things and cope through things. The power of the word. Psalm 119, all about the word. Jesus shows us, again, this is Jesus, but he shows us the sufficiency of the word. What do people need? They need the word. They need to be exposed to the scriptures. I tell you this, as a pastor, you know, I, I, to point people back to the word of God makes my life a whole lot easier. Because I'm not a therapist, counselor, help, but you know what? God's word, Psalm 119, your, your word is my counselor's. And when people get into the Word, the Word begins to heal and to help and to give understanding and clarity and to help them process things. And I love this. Jesus begins to expound to them the Word of God. And verse 18 says, And they drew near to the village where they were going, and Jesus indicated as if he would have gone further. Again, being a, a gentleman, he's not pressing himself upon them. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening it says, the day is far spent, and he went in to stay with them. So again, they're enjoying Jesus' company. They've been enlightened by what he's just no doubt shared with them in this Bible study of sorts that he gave as they were walking along. So at this point, they invite Jesus to stay with them. Hey, don't leave. Would you stay with us for the night? And I think this is beautiful. I'll tell you, Jesus likes to be invited. And he was always ready to accept an invitation. Revelation 3 says he stands at the door and he knocks. He likes us to invite him. And Jesus embraces their invitation. It tells us, verse 30, it came to pass as he sat at the table with them that he broke bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. And notice, and their eyes were opened and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. So at this point, as Jesus takes bread, and it just says he breaks it, he blesses it, he passes it out, it's at that point Luke says, then their eyes were opened and they saw Jesus for who he was. Now again, we can speculate, you know, what was it about the breaking of the bread? Well, they saw Jesus break bread before when he fed the 5,000, when he fed the 4,000. Was it that they saw the nail prints in his hands? Was it that they just sensed the familiarity of how the Lord works? That, that I don't think at the end of the day that's what's important. I think that is essential and important is to realize Jesus grants them revelation. Jesus now opens their eyes and allows them to see him for who he is. And people's eyes being opened is a spiritual and a supernatural experience. The Lord is the one who does it. And the revelation of Jesus being alive and available to help these two men who were living in a dark cloud up to this point, you'll notice that it changes their entire perspective. It transforms their attitude and really it revolutionized the way that they lived because experiencing the presence of Jesus does that to people. When you experience the presence of Jesus and your eyes are opened to the Lord and the reality of the Lord and his presence with you and his, his availability to help you and aid you and assist you in life, that transforms everything. 
And when their eyes were open to see Jesus and they knew him, all of a sudden, in the next verse, their disposition just changes because they get a revelation of the Lord. Now, he appears, and then all of a sudden, it says he vanishes. Look, verse 32. It says, And then they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? Please take note here. Look at the effect of those who heard from Jesus personally. Look at their testimony. It's worthy of meditation the rest of the afternoon or maybe tomorrow for your devotional time. Look at the effect. It says that their hearts burned. And say heartburn. It says their hearts burned. They had a burning heart. Something, again, what was it? Two things. Jesus talked with them personally and it says he opened the scriptures to them. Because when Jesus speaks to someone and Jesus opens the word of God, it produces an illuminating experience. Interesting, as a result of Jesus speaking to them and Jesus opening the word of God to them, what did it do? It kindled a fire in their heart. Jeremiah 23, God says, Is not my word like a fire? My word? Jesus says in John chapter 6, the words that I speak to you, they are spirit and life. Hey, this morning, can I challenge us today? Do we have burning hearts? Are our hearts burning for the Lord? Do we have burning hearts? Are we experiencing that? And then the question becomes this, if not, where does that come from? To me, it seems the place that comes from is spending time with Jesus. Just spending time with Jesus and letting Jesus talk to us and letting the Lord speak into our lives in a personal way to open the word to us and to speak to us. Hey, can I challenge you this morning? Make it a priority in your life to spend time with Jesus. He doesn't charge anything for counseling and he will do a much better job to strengthen you, to encourage you, to, to build you up, to give you insight and direction. Listen, get alone with Jesus. If it's not a daily habit in your life, start it. If it's a habit that disappeared from your life, reinstitute it. And see what begins to happen as your heart begins to burn because of Jesus speaking to you the things that he does. Let's stand, we'll pray together, we'll turn our hearts to the Lord in a final song. Father, thank you for your word for your spirit's ministry to convey it to our hearts. And Lord, you know the condition of each and every one of our hearts in this room. And I thank you, Jesus, that you know exactly how to help us and that you know exactly what to say to us and to speak to us. Lord, would you bring us to that place that we could experience in some way what these men described that day. We long for it, we ask for it. In Jesus' name, amen.